TheWealthManagement.com Advisor Innovations Podcast is sponsored by LPL. As financial advice continues to evolve, LPL is at the forefront. Whether it's growing your RIA or building an independent practice, advisors can pick the business model, services, technology, and product mix that best meets their clients' needs. As a top wealth management firm, 100% dedicated to advisor success, LPL looks forward to learning how they can help you build your tomorrow today. For information and show notes, go visit lpl.com slash advisor innovation. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us on this, the Advisor Innovations Podcast, where we try to talk to the folks who are really driving the business of financial advice into new and interesting areas. And today, I'm thrilled to have Gavin Spitzer join us. Gavin, as many of you know, spent a long career in financial services, and for, I guess, maybe the past six years or so, has been a consultant running his own firm, Wealth Consulting Partners, and I think doing some early-stage fintech investments on the side. Gavin, does that sound like a fair bio? Anything you want to add? That does. Uh, David, thanks so much for having me with you today. So yeah, Gavin Spitzner, president of Wealth Consulting Partners. We're a boutique, very boutique strategy consulting firm that works purely with wealth management firms, uh, really of all stripes. So RIAs, some banks, some broker-dealers, some fintechs that are getting into the wealth management space. I, I guess the commonality is something to do with growth strategies, technology, designing better client experiences, better advisor experiences for that matter, encompassing technology, process re-engineering, structure, practice management. And my motivation is really to help firms and help advisors deliver better advice and, and better outcomes ultimately to more people. What I say to firms is that, that I work with is I don't have all the answers. <laughs> there, there's no one right way. There's no one best client experience. There's no one right technology stack. But what I try to do is really bring an outside perspective on asking better questions that help get at the right answers for individual advisors and, and, and firms and the like. What I say in my own marketing is strategy is easy, execution is hard, right? Mm -hmm. We know what to do. We know what clients are looking for, what advisors are, are looking for, what drives more, more valuable, profitable practices, but executing on it, leading that, that change management process is hard as hell. Yeah, I mean, I think we, we I think bounce up around a lot of the same people, same conferences. And for some reason, and maybe it's unfair, I kind of peg you as a fintech strategist. And, and maybe that's unfair. It's, it's limiting, maybe. But also, I think it underscores the fact that technology is really the story in wealth management, correct? So most of my engagements have something to do with technology, but I've been around so long. I know, a, I guess, a little about a lot of things. So I get pulled into practice management, M&A change management in general, pricing, you, you you name it. But usually there's some technology element at the core. And it is, it's the ultimate enabler. And really, I think about things in terms of what is, what's technology best at and what, what are humans best at and, and try to even that out and make sure that we're leveraging technology and data and processes and workflows to the best possible degree to free up humans, human capital to do their best work and the things that they can uniquely do. Yeah, no, it makes total sense. If I were to ask you your view on, and again, we'll, I don't know why technology just always seems to sort of be there, your view on the state of advisor innovations or advisor technology today. And I mean, I'll tell you why I'm asking this question, sure. because I have a, a thesis that I haven't really explored much, just kind of bouncing around my head. 
that uh, advisor technology innovation is slow. And in fact, we really haven't seen much of anything new or mind-blowing in years in advisor innovation, advisor technology. Yes, there's been some stuff on the margins around cryptocurrency, AI, maybe, I don't know if that's a reality yet or just a hype. But in terms of watching the slow iteration of every financial planning platform, every portfolio management platform, every CRM, every it just seems like there's slow iterations, but nothing really is breaking through to really change the game. What's your view? Am I wrong about that? And feel free to tell me if I am. Well, we'll talk, uh, we can get more into AI, wh- whether you want to consider that artificial intelligence or augmented intelligence. I do think it's real for firms and advisors that do what's necessary to make it real. It's not, it's not a silver bullet. It doesn't just happen. You got to feed, you got to feed the machine, and get it learning the right things to help you. But back to your fundamental question, I would say I don't disagree, but at the same time, what's out there already is being so underutilized. I don't know that that's really the issue. It's mm. more, I, I think there have been various studies that say advisors use 20, 30% perhaps of the capabilities of the technology that they have. You know, they don't take the time. There's usually su- such a pressure when you're bringing on some new technology or you're replatforming, adding a CRM, a new portfolio management system, whatever, just to get it up and running and get the lights on and convert over and all that, that not enough time is spent really upfront thinking through how do we use this, not just to replicate what we had been doing, but to deliver a better client experience, create more automation, change our some of the, the processes and workflows. So then you end up just with a new technology that that helps you do what you had been doing, perhaps incrementally better, not really fundamentally changing the way that that we do things. And back to my point about how looking at how technology can can make the best use of advisor time and and where is it better than humans can be? It's everything from client intake, portfolio analysis, portfolio customization, trading, rebalancing, tax management, just a few of the tasks that should be left to technology. And not only if we leverage that tech more, would it lead to better client outcomes because machines are better at those things than humans? Incidentally, it frees up advisor capacity to do what advisors do best in terms of helping clients understand possibilities, think through options, figure out what really matters to them and ultimately influence their behavior. But it's a lot. And when you combine, I think about, you've got the technical expertise needs around portfolio construction and taxes and and legal things and estate planning. You've got the high EQ aspects of advising clients. and, And you could argue there's a third component around business development. It's rare to find in one person, someone that can do two of those, let alone all three. Also, we could do a sidebar around wh- why team-based practices are, are on the rise mm-hmm. to account for that. But back to your, your original premise around technology innovation, I, my basic argument would be what we have today is being so underutilized when it comes to CRM, when it comes to the data that we we have at our fingertips that could be helping us identify insights and better ways to engage clients, 
tax optimization. I mean, there's a lot of really smart advisors that still do uh, tax harvesting uh, on Excel. And they all sit there and say that there's technology that automates this. And it's not end of year, heavy lifting, manual work. It's it's every day that is going to be better for you, better for your clients. But they resist. It's they. It's in their wheelhouse. It's in their muscle memory. They like doing it. It's the same with advisors that still want to control everything when it comes to stock picking or fund or ETF picking and trading. It's It might be why they got into the business. And even if there's technology that does it a whole lot better, more efficiently, it's hard for them to let go. And this is a function, I think, also of sort of stayed demographic of the advisory industry as well, right? I think if from reports that I've read, and, and you might know better, the total pie of advised assets is not really growing. There's a lot of merger and acquisition activity. A lot of advisors are growing by recruiting and a lot of advisors are growing just through pure market appreciation, market. right? I mean, yeah. it's been uh, 11 years, 12 years, whatever it's been, just straight up practically markets. So there's a lot of kind of fat and happy advisors who maybe aren't motivated to make those changes. There's no crisis moment. There's no sense of something's got to change or we're going to have to shut the doors and turn out the lights. Is that your perception? I'll stop short of calling them fat and happy. Uh, <laughs> there are a lot of my friends out there. They're trying their best. But you're right. The bull market masks a lot of industry woes around organic growth and, and frankly, just the bar being being fairly low when it comes to client expectations. I, I think Fidelity had a study. It's probably a little bit dated now, but showing true, they, they backed out inorganic. They backed out market and said the average advisory firm is growing between 2 and 3%, something like that per year, pretty darn low. And that's skewed. So there's, if that's the average, there's a whole lot that are underperforming that by, by a large margin. Right, and that's right. a, it's a function of, we've typically gone after the same high net worth client. There's some practices that are looking at different fee models and, and all. And, and I know that that side well in planning only and other ways to service more clients. But it's, like I said, the bar the bar is low. We, we've all seen the stats over the years of clients don't leave because of performance issues. They leave because of communication and, and service. And it's I, I used to take that more as a, almost a positive, but I've, I've reflected on that. And what is that? What's that really say? That the, the bar is so low that if I return a phone call promptly, <laughs> th th then that's enough to, to keep me around versus really delivering a better experience and, and helping clients with, with more comprehensive services. And that the bar is going up. You talked about fintechs. Fintechs are, they've been responsible for fee compression, at least on the asset management side. And they all pretty much other than one or two have added human advisors over the past few years. They've realized for them to maybe start with a client, whether in their 20 or 20s or 30s, and grow with them and not lose them when they hit an inflection point and, and want to go to a, a more dedicated advisor, that they can add those capabilities, maybe it's centralized, but deliver that great technology experience, but then layer in that, that human advice as well. So the bar's going up and it's really this convergence where you've got a race 
for the fintechs to come up and, and level the playing field around the human layer. And then the incumbents coming at the other way and, and getting good enough on the technology side. And back to my point about process reengineering, thinking about how do we get past our, our preconceptions that, oh, clients that work with us, they want to delegate to us. They're not tech savvy. They, they want us to do it all. When the reality is, and there's plenty of research that shows this, they want to be much more engaged and more tuned in digitally to be able to do things around the investment side, reporting, access, and free up their advisor to focus, like I said, on the things that really adds the most value. So I think that's back to your point about innovation. I think firms and advisors that figure out the right blend of digital engagement and the ability to collaborate digitally, and obviously COVID accelerated those efforts, but most are still not where they, they should be. That's That to me is where the interesting things are happening. Yeah, for sure. And uh, we hear so often about you're not competing against the RA down the street, you're competing against Amazon or Apple once they decide to get into this game. Do you think there's any truth to that? Do you think that there is a time on the horizon when a fully automated wealth management firm just explode out of nowhere and take things by storm or force change across the industry? And here I'm thinking about, you know, there are still people out there who believe that we don't need human financial advisors. The whole wealth front is built on the idea that not just asset management, but financial planning can be automatically without an advisor. In other words, the technology is coming. Clearly, we still believe in the, the role of the human, but is there a fear or is there a possibility that a Amazon or Apple or another firm will come into this industry and just level it? Yes. It, it, whether they do, and if it's those firms or other firms, a firm you know, could be in someone's garage right now and it's going to hit in two or three years. Whether that happens or not and when that happens, for me, the mindset should be it is coming. And Wealthfront's a good example, right? They've, they're the one holdout of the original robos that has not layered in advisors like other firms. And they're putting their all their they're they're all in on lever- using technology to create that planning and optimization I- experience. So to me, that should be the mindset that technology can and will do that. Where if you've got a create a plan, see where the gaps are, use the technology and the data to make recommendations. There's going to be a whole lot more around nudges and and how do you keep in front of clients to to actually make sure that they're doing things. Technology can do a lot of that. And back to what I said before, what technology can't do is, at least for most clients at this point, although there'll be some that would rather, you just reminded me when, when you said Wealthfront, uh, Andy Ratcliffe conference a couple years ago said, talked about having older, more affluent clients than people might think and that they expressly say we work with you so that we never have to talk to a human mm-hmm. and 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 right we all we all know folks like that including probably our children mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's if i trust the advice and i'm getting out of it what i want then yeah it's uh, it's going to be more incumbent on the humans to be able to demonstrate their value and i think that's 
back to your point about technology too, I think that's another part when we think about client portals and digital engagement. It's how do you stay in front of a client and show them what you're doing for them? It's not the old, we keep saying goals-based and planning-based and all these things, but then our reporting is still just showing me my performance versus benchmarks. Performance, to, to your question about innovation, I think that's that's an area where there's a lot of work to be done. How do we better monitor report based on the planning conversations and engagements we're, we're having with clients? So again, to your point about is some is Amazon, is Apple, is somebody Google going to completely disrupt? I don't know. I, I, I'm not a, don't have a crystal ball, but the healthy mindset from my perspective is assume that they are and that they're, they're going to automate everything that can possibly be automated at close to zero. How are you going to add value? How are you going to earn a fee over and above those, those basic things that, that can and will be commoditized? Yeah. How do, what do you feel about fees in the industry? You know, you talked about the price compression on the asset management side, certainly true. Why wouldn't we then see some price compression eventually on the financial planning side? We're starting to see it. I think to some degree, it's a generational thing. There's a lot of older clients. They don't know any better. They just assume, of course, this costs whatever, one and a quarter percent. And it's the only way to pay is through AUM-based fees. So I think if I'm an advisor, if I'm 65 and my clients are 65 and older, am I going to lose sleep over all of this? If I'm thinking about retiring in three, four years, probably not. They, they can get through. But if you're thinking about 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and really building a, a, a firm that's going to last and have a healthy you know, inflow of, of younger clients, and if I want to keep, we, we keep talking about the massive wealth transfer coming 40, 50, 60 tr- trillion dollars, whatever it is. Uh, personally, I don't know that it's going to be that high. I think people are going to spend more of it, but whatever it is, it's a big amount. And we've seen all the stats that say, let's call it two thirds of, of the heirs take it, take the money and run. Um, that's not that's not sustainable in the long run. So firms and advisors are going to have to figure out how they're going to attract uh, a client base that is more fee aware um, and has different things that they want to do with their money. We, we could get into a whole sidebar around ESG and SRI and direct indexing, th- things that help clients express their values in their investments, and, and not to mention often at a lower price point. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask, uh, then my next question was going to be around the firms that are doing this kind of thing you're talking about successfully. What are they doing? How are they creating those moments of engagement with clients that transcends the routinized, algorithmic-driven aspects of the job, right? And I think ESG is a good example. Uh, talking to clients about values-driven investing, are you seeing advisors actually pick that up, though? Because, I mean, the statistics we look at suggest that it's a slow, I mean, with the exception of some advisors that are doing it quite well, and, and they make it a forefront of their practice. Uh, for the most part, advisory firms are, are reluctant to move into that area. I think it's one of those things that's it's going to be slow, 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 and then all of a sudden, and you're going to see, I mean, j- just look at all the acquisitions that the mega firm, mega banks, wirehouses have made into the ESG and direct indexing space just over the past year. Just, I mean, massive. And they're, they're going to, and you just had Vanguard, 
do it as well. So you're going to see these big firms that this is just going to be the way they do business. They're going to disrupt themselves and, and make this their core offering. I've got no no doubt because they're stripping out layers of cost. They're able to, to deal with fee compression and, and deliver clients better after-tax results with more customization. So as those things fall into place, it's going to become more it's going to become more commoditized and normalized. So you'll see more advisors have to do that. Mm-hmm. You're talking about direct indexing here, where we've written a fair amount about that with the bespoke portfolio for each client, basically yes. going back to the old separately managed accounts, right? I mean, that's what they are, just at a kind of a lower entry point. And do you think advisors are ready to have those kinds of conversations with their clients? Many are. Yeah, I, I, firms I'm working with are doing it and delivering great after-tax results, doing it at scale. But yeah, I would agree. It's still more the exception than the norm. It'll reach an inflection point over the next, I'll say, two years where it's going to become much, much more. Because to your point, it, it, the concept has been around. It's it's not new. It's the ability to operationalize it and take out a lot of layers of cost because you had SMA managers that were, you know, 50, 60, 70 basis points just for that. And then you got to layer on top of that other advise, advisory costs. It gets very expensive. And frankly, most SMAs were never customized despite all the potential. They they weren't. And so what custom indexing provides is it's much more just ingrained in the process from the very beginning of the client engagement. Yeah, and, it, and it's and that, that's definitely a technology story as well, right? Because that's going to drive the ability for an advisor. It's just ironic, right? Because we talked for many years about how advisors shouldn't necessarily be managing portfolios. They should be over here doing the client relation stuff and leave the portfolio management either to the robos or to a third-party model or something. And then the advisor should be doing their their cultivation and meetings and care. And now we're kind of going back to a time where we're going to say, you know what, advisor, doing the portfolio management through a direct indexing platform is probably how you're going to you know show your clients your value. Right. And I don't think they're, they're mutually exclusive. I think, to me, I, I don't look at it as going backwards. Because of the the automation through the technology, whether you want to have the tech where you're basically running it in-house or you want to outsource that where it's more productized, it's still very scalable compared to rep is PM type business where I might have some starting point for an allocation, but then I'm doing a lot of customization. I'm pulling the trigger on the trades, the the capabilities around direct indexing are are highly scalable. And it gets into what I was saying before about client engagement. I tell firms, like based on what I've seen and, and some of my clients use, it's so intuitive and client-friendly. I say, don't keep all this for, for yourselves. Turn this around, around the client engagement and it might, maybe it's collaborative and you're both in there at the same time, either in person or through a Zoom, but let them get in there and start to see the power of customization and tilts and things that they can, where they can infuse what matters to them into their portfolio in a more in a collaborative way. So I think that's another, when we talk about scale, yes, you could outsource or you could use a central team, but I think there's the element too of client involvement, client engagement 
that helps scale, but also creates a better client experience for, for those that want to be that engaged in that way. Mm-hmm. You've you mentioned collaboration with the client a few times as a way to increase client experience. And I think that's a good point. We think of client experience sometimes, I think, a lot of people hear that and they think, oh, is the website functional? Is it is someone going to answer the phone when I call? But this notion of collaboration, what, can you give some examples of, of where you've seen that work well? Any maybe firms that are kind of building those tools for that kind of collaboration you're talking about or how you're seeing that actually play out in the field? Well, I think COVID accelerated those things, at least getting people, both advisor and client, more used to engaging virtually. So I think that's part of it, but it doesn't have to be virtual. There's some really great tools that are more like created with the thought of whether it's virtual or sitting in a room with a giant screen monitor, getting them involved in the process, Uh, say estate planning. There's some really cool things that are out there now where you can, it's designed to create an environment and experience where you get, whether it's a couple or even multi-generations to be involved in a process and, and visualize possibilities, dial things up and, and dial things down. And it's just reflective of where we are. There used to be a mindset and there probably still is with a lot of folks that older, wealthier people don't, they can't, don't know how to turn on a computer. They would never do this or never do this. It's just so outdated when you think about what people are doing uh, every single day in all aspects of their life. I think that's, again, the technology is further ahead than the capacity to use it effectively. And it's a it's an acquired skill. A lot of advisors had to work through in during COVID, how do I, say, engage a prospect in a planning process where I am used to being face-to-face with them, and I can read body language and different cues and how I'm taking them through a planning process. There's great planning modules and capabilities that you can do online. Either the client can do themselves and then come back and then you review and, and discuss or you do it together, but it's an art and a science and it takes a lot of practice doing it where you're not spending half of that, say half hour, 45 minute virtual session uh, uh, figuring out how to get off mute or how to pull up a screen. So I think there were, especially in the RIA community, quite a few that they they were set up that way pre-COVID and were just able to grow dramatically during that time because they they had those skills and they had the marketing front end to drive the top of the funnel and all those things to take to onboard new clients, to find them and attract them and, and, and onboard them. For most others, it, it's been a big learning experience. And can, you know, again, this is a technology issue, I'm aware, but it seems like advisors in big enterprise firms would have an advantage here over uh, uh, smaller advisors or an RIA with one or two principles, just simply because of the scale required and the the investment required for these kinds of, to facilitate these kind of collaborative client experiences you're talking about? Yeah, yes and no. So at the enterprise level, yes. And that's why you see more and more consolidation every day. Just you need to have the technology budget. 
like on the on the bank side, Truist they were very vocal about the BB and T SunTrust deal that it was very much about scale and and technology investment as, as one example. So you're not wrong, but there's nothing to stop with the available technology a solo uh, advisor or a small practice that has if you're solo to have a hundred of families that you manage to do a really good job of that and have technology that can do everything we just talked about. So for me, it's more about aspirations and the kind of clients you serve, how big you want to grow, how fast you want to, how much investment you want to make. But certainly we see on the RIA side, more folks gravitating towards the the roll-ups, the aggregators, and those firms themselves are, are getting PE money and growing in other ways to have that scale that, that you're talking about. If I asked you beyond just the digitization of the industry, what are some maybe underhyped but should be hyped trends that you're seeing as you go out there and talk to clients and, and talking to firms? Are there, are there trends in this industry that we're, we're missing that we're not talking about as much as we should be? Well, the I, obvious one that I it puzzles me every day that there's not more focus is simply around retirement planning. You know, this isn't a case of where where's the puck going. It's it's already there. It's yeah. it's sitting right in front of the net, and there's no goalie. You've got what is it, ten thousand boomers turning sixty five every day. I saw some research re- recently that that said a third. I think it was like a third of people under fifty five wanting to retire by the time they're 55. Now, the reality is most of them are not going to be able to do that, but there's that mindset. The percentage that want to retire by 65 went up almost 10 percentage points in the past year to almost, I think it's 40%. And and whether they want to retire, so whether it's voluntary or involuntary, which we've seen a spike of as well, the average age of people that are at least stopping full-time work, I'll say that versus retirement, because the Mm -hmm. whole concept is outdated, is moving younger and younger. It's like 62, 63, something like that. So, I mean, if I was an advisor or running advisory practice, that's certainly where I'd be not, I wouldn't want to ignore younger people and and help them with their goals and, and all that. And I'd have a very efficient hybrid digital centralized group to support them. But I'd be all over retired people planning for retirement. We know it's a huge inflection point for consolidation to choose a single advisor advisory firm when they start to to reach that point and they just want to get their arms around. What can I do? When? And do I have enough? And what are the possibilities? And advisors that are really good at all the non-financial stuff that actually matters to to people as they think through all this, like where you know, post full-time work, what's my life going to look like? And what can I afford? And where am I going to live? And who am I going to hang out with? And healthcare planning and, and all of that. People that bring value to helping them think through that. And maybe it's even helping them with their, their own aging parents, let's mm-hmm. say, around the issues that they're dealing with. Those folks, you know, you've moved way beyond, did I beat the benchmark by by 20 basis points last year, the, right. the value is enormous and the, and the needs are enormous. And do you think that there's something in the recent discussion around fee arrangements that maybe are 
tied into that a little bit. And I'll tell you what I'm thinking. If you're charging, if an advisor is charging a client on an AUM based on an AUM basis, as that client moves through retirement, they clearly become a less valuable client, right? Because the AUM is dropping and they're decumulating yep. and, and you're not making as much money off that client. Is there an argument to be made that uh, changing your fee arrangements to a flat fee or a retainer or some kind of fee for service model would maybe prompt more advisors to focus a little bit more on those where you clearly are correct that there's a need around retirement planning and in retirement financial matters? Yeah, I think there's different models that that can make sense. I think if if shown this kind of inexperience in the value around longevity planning and and all these other elements that go beyond simple portfolio management, you can certainly charge you know hard dollar fees, and a lot of especially high net worth firms do that. But at the same time, even within asset man asset based fees, you can get there in different ways, right? You can cap things. You can have declining schedule minimums. There's, I'm not a stickler, like there's only one right way. I think if I'm in running advisory practice, I want to have some flexibility. And more than anything, I just need to be able to demonstrate the value that that I bring. And then I don't think it's it matters all that much. For younger, you know, Henry's and the like there, you got, you got to be more creative around how you're going to charge where it makes sense to to service them because you, you know I'm not th- this is not a non nonprofit business <laughs> we mm-hmm. got we got to get uh got get paid for the the value that we're bringing yeah for sure well this has been great I, I one more quick question for you cryptocurrency fraud or or the great hope for the world did you where, say where fraud you yes <laughs> <laughs> that that might be overstating it <laughs> Slightly, I guess my position, and full disclosure, I've owned crypto almost by accident for six years. I was, I opened accounts with like everybody in the world to try the experiences, and mm-hmm. was with a a firm that's now defunct, unfortunately. But they did a little allocation to to crypto back in the day. I don't remember even like signing off on it. <laughs> but, not not life changing, but interesting, and certainly. Uh, good for me to experience that. I don't know. Right now, if nothing else, advisors, advi- advisory firms need to have a position, right? We're we're past the stage where you can just you know laugh it off or or just throw water on it. You, you need to have a position. You probably, depending on the type of firm, you probably want to have the ability to uh, accommodate. And this, to me, is a broader issue of even clients that want to delegate and have an advisor run their money, their serious money professionally, lots and lots of clients still want to have their play account, something more speculative, whatever it is. And I think advisory firms, advisors are smart to think about better ways to accommodate that that behavior and keep it in essence within the house versus forcing them to go somewhere else to do it. And that could be the case, at least near term for crypto is if a client holds it, be able to help them look at it holistically with the rest of their portfolio. Uh, personally, and I wrote about this publicly, so I'll share it. I, when I reached a point where that grew, when it hit 60,000 to over 1% of my investable assets, I sold off a big chunk because I just hmm. heard various folks talk about 1%. I don't know if 1% is is right or wrong, but it sort of made sense to me. And so I 
I dialed it back, but there's, you know, it's not going away. I think it'll get easier when we have ETFs and other ways. There's already some SMAs out there that make it easier to include in the portfolio. Smart enough about that to have a strong opinion about whether it's an asset class and, and where it fits in. Yes, yes. Did, did you have trouble getting your crypto converted back into fiat money? Not trouble, just it's not cheap. <laughs> it's that that's certainly a place where where and maybe somebody will hear this and tell me I'm wrong, but not a place where zero commissions have, have yeah. entered yet. With all the with the rise of all the players, it it certainly will. That'll change as well. It'll be easier to invest as ETFs and other things come on online. And I guess then when it becomes easier to invest, we'll figure out a reason to invest. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I, That's it. I guess I'm letting my own uh, opinions known here. Yeah, it's a little it's a little crazy. The whole blockchain, I you know, blockchain makes a lot of sense to, to me, but as a investment asset class, I'm having a, a harder time. I can't complain. It's uh it's, yeah, ob- yeah. it's obviously done done well for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, Kevin, this has been great. I, I really appreciate your time. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot more that we could, you know, dive into, but I, I think we're over our allotted time. But I, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk to me, David. Thanks so much. Really appreciate the opportunity. And this has been the Advisor Innovations Podcast. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is sponsored by LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and member FINRA SIPC. LPL Financial is a separate entity from and not affiliated with wealthmanagement.com.